How do you know if you're a people pleaser? Well, you're probably exhausted from doing so much for other people. You're probably ready for it to be your turn, and yet you feel guilty and selfish if you wanna do something for yourself. If you can relate to that, stay tuned. I'm Brenda Florida, Certified Life Coach, and I've got a full solution for you, and we talk about different aspects of that every episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser, from emotional intelligence skills to practical coaching tools. We use my own framework I created called the Solve It Method, and I have guests on from time to time to share their expertise with you as well. So you are in the right place at the right time being exactly who you are. And now join me for this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. Welcome to this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. I wonder if you think it's even possible to have healthy conflict. And what do I mean by that? To me, healthy conflict is about people being able to express their views, their truth, their perceptions, their perspective, their ideas. If it's in a work situation and we're solving a problem or creating a new you know, project or whatever it is, we can, it has these qualities of being able to share what we think and not have everybody think the same thing, right? That's what creates the, can create the conflict is you have a different idea. You have a different perspective than I do or, you know, whatever. And being able to create an open environment for that conversation where there is trust, there really has to be trust before we can have this healthy conflict. And we can all tolerate sort of this, period of time where there is unrest and it can be intense unrest even but we all can be with ourselves in the truth of what's happening for us and where we're at as well as listen to be empathetic be able to sort of stand in the shoes of the other person or people who aren't on the same page we are and then work towards a solution or an outcome that we can all decide to move forward with. So it doesn't mean everybody changes, you know, the people who didn't agree changed their mind and now everybody's on the exact same page. What it means is as a group, we've gotten to a point where we can say, okay, I've been able to express my views and I can see that the group is deciding, you know, or the leader has chosen this other way that isn't my way. And I can be okay with that because I got seen and heard in the process. And, you know, I'm a grown ass adult. I know I don't always get my way. <laughs> so I can go with it. And now that we're going to do that, I'm going to get behind that a hundred percent, you know, whether it's publicly, if there's some kind of um, work endeavor that you're doing. And so now we're going to all, the group of us who made the decision are coming out to the company or to our shareholders or whoever it is, and we're going to be a united front. Now, this also happens exactly the same way in families. So I had the privilege recently of being in the midst of a big, very intense family situation. And I won't go into the details because it's not all my story to tell, 
but this was something that could have really potentially divided my family. And there were a lot of different opinions and a lot of different views, and it was very emotionally loaded. And what was so beautiful to me about it was watching my children and their spouses. That's what I mean by my family. I'm single, have four grown children. They're all married. Well, one is engaged, but um, so if these eight adults (laughs) and me engaging in conversation over days and days and days where everyone was able to talk about what they wanted and needed, what their perspective was, what their insight was, you know, their idea, all those, all of the above. They were able to hear each other, even when, you know, someone else didn't have the same opinion, wasn't having the same experience, wasn't, you know, whatever it was. And over, you know, about a week, we got to a point where, you know, there was this collective decision to move forward. And it was just so beautiful to watch how everyone came together in a really emotionally loaded time where there could have been a lot of tempers flaring and all that to really stay calm, but speak their truth and, you know, then sort of navigate and negotiate our way to moving forward. So it happens in homes and it happens in business. It happens in small teams. It could be a team of two. It happens in big teams. It happens in project, you know, teams. It happens in leadership teams. This ability to foster an environment or create it if you don't have it at all, where there is enough trust and vulnerability that we can have the kind of healthy conflict that gets us to the best decisions. Because what happens when there isn't that ability to have that healthy conflict? Well, then we have people who will just keep their mouth shut because they don't want to rock the boat or they don't, or they're afraid there's going to be some sort of retaliation. If even if it's just emotional, right? Even if they're not worried about losing their jobs or something that dramatic, although of course that occurs, but it could be that they just don't want to look like the naysayer. They or they don't want to handle an aggressive comment from somebody else in the team that they're afraid might lash out at them or something like that. And so they stay silent. And then you can have, you know, the people who are sort of bullies or very strongly opinionated who can end up controlling the agenda, controlling the conversation, controlling the decisions. And sometimes they don't really even intend to. It's just that whatever, they're outspoken. They, you know, I've had this happen to me at times where I'm not trying to be aggressive and I'm not aggressive, like, uh, you know, in an angry or attacking sort of way, but because of my natural sort of effervescence and enthusiasm for something, I can sort of, I'm to other people feel like, you know, a train coming at them that there's no stopping. And so they will sort of fold or just, you know, go along with whatever I'm talking about doing because they're intimidated by that. So the people that 
will intimidate others are not necessarily trying to be that way. But of course, there always are those who are, right? There's always that person who wants to be the troublemaker, who wants to stir the pot, or who just wants their way and will do whatever they have to do to shut down anybody who opposes them. So these are the kinds of real life things in our families and our work environments that really call for us to activate our emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence covers four areas of our lives. It's about first our own self-awareness. And then once we have self-awareness, we can sort of regulate is a pretty decent word. I don't like the word control really, because it's not about control. It's about choosing how I'm going to respond in any given situation, because I've tuned into myself. I know when I've been triggered or I know, you know, if, that I tend to be this, you know, freight train coming down the rails. And so maybe when I present my idea, I'm very aware of that. And so I kind of back off a little bit. I'm not a flat pancake, but I'm going to tone, you know, watch my tone. So I don't come off too pushy basically even in an innocent way. So that's the first two, two steps of emotional intelligence are about yourself, your self-awareness, and then how you respond out of that self-awareness. When we don't have the self-awareness, we tend to be reactive. Then the second two phases of emotional intelligence are how we're interacting with others. It's what can I observe in others? What can I sort of intuit? and understand my, along with my ability to be empathetic, which is about being able to take that person's perspective. And by take, I don't mean I'm gonna change my mind and take their perspective. I just mean I can stand in their shoes is a nice way to think about it. So I can understand that their perspective for them is real, whether I think it's real or not, whether I think it's true or not, doesn't matter to them, it is. So I can understand that. I can be open and listen so that I'm really getting what they're saying. So the other person or people are feeling seen and heard by me because that's so powerful. And then I can help manage that all of us in that relationship, especially if I'm the leader um, or I can participate if somebody else is the leader in a way that puts all of that together. So I'm being aware of my own self and what I want and need, where I'm getting triggered. So I'm choosing my responses. I'm tuning into the other people. And then I'm contributing collectively in a way that is productive and effective. And if I'm the leader, then I'm, I'm leading that conversation. I'm leading that meeting. I'm leading that, which, you know, leading, not meaning, telling everybody what to do. That's not leading. Leading is again, allowing everybody to feel seen and heard and then begin to direct, you know, if we're trying to solve a problem or we have a project, some kind of outcome we need to reach uh, to get there and to figure out how we're gonna do it. Um, and if it's more of a family issue and there are multiple outcomes or, you know, whatever, it's just about being able to dance that dance sort of, of being the guide. And if that's a role that you have because of your place in the family, like I'm the mom, right? So I'm a little bit of a guide, but these are adults. 
So I'm not a guide like I was when they were 10. You know, I have to let them have their space to move forward in ways that feel like truth to them, whether I am in agreement with it or not. And this is where emotional intelligence, this is part of why I'm so passionate about this topic, because being able to raise your emotional intelligence, which all of us can do, allows you to participate and sort of let go of the outcome in all of these types of conversations. It doesn't mean, letting go of the outcome doesn't mean I don't care, doesn't mean I'm not invested, doesn't mean, you know, any of those things. It means I can also allow for the fact that the way I want it to turn out may not be the best way, may not be the only way, may not be the highest outcome collectively for us, right? And so I can really honestly listen to what's going on and allow myself to change my own perspective and or even just say, hey, look, this collective, all my children, like if we want to do it in the family thing, they all want to go to Disneyland and I wanted to go to Cabo, you know, but we all talked about it and we got our pros and cons and we did, you know, all said our things. And even though I wanted to go to Cabo, I can see that collectively they're all more interested in Disneyland. So I'm going to forego my, you know, desire to go to Cabo this time and do Disneyland with them. Like that's just a silly example, but family vacations can be a huge way of having this dynamic where we are not having healthy conflict, where somebody just kind of shuts down like, okay, I guess it's Disneyland this year, you know, whatever. And then they end up feeling resentful. And so this dynamic, whether we're doing it at work or in a family is so important to be able to use these skills of emotional intelligence to create that trust and create that atmosphere that allows for the healthy conflict. So when I teach this material to, I've done it many times to leadership teams, to various sales teams, you know, in the workplace, that sort of thing. And I talk about it a lot this way with clients when they're having family problems or whatever, because every family is a team, you know, so it all applies across personal and professional, you know, boundaries and situations. One of the things that I really enjoy about it. It's the same way I am one-on-one -on -one with a client in that my style of coaching and teaching and leading is always to be both um, idea-oriented, concept-oriented, like these concepts of emotional intelligence with self-awareness, choosing your response, uh, social awareness, being, you know, being aware of what's going on with the other people. And then this relationship management piece, which is about helping to just sort of guide um, that collective conversation and participate in it. Those are great concepts. But many times when I teach them, even at the, the first step, which is uh, self-awareness, people will understand that, they'll understand it as a concept, they'll even understand why it will really benefit them. So you can probably think of something right now, even if it's a different setting than what I, the examples I've been using, where you know what's good for you, 
you know the result that you would get, you know, like by getting to bed a little bit earlier so you can get up easier to get your morning routine in. Because man, when you, you know, spend that time exercising or journaling or meditating or whatever your morning routine is, you, re you have a better day and you know it. And yet so many times at night, it's like, oh, I'm going to watch one more episode of this or, oh, I'm going to, you know, have one more cocktail or I'm going to, you know, whatever, one more thing. And you end up staying too late and self-sabotaging that morning routine. So we all have things that we know, you know, we sort of know better. We get the concept, we get the idea, we understand the benefits and the results but we don't do it. And so there's this gap between knowing those things, but then being able to do them. And so always, whether I'm one-on-one -on -one coaching, whether I'm teaching, consulting with a business, whatever I'm doing, I always combine these two things of the concepts and the tools. How do I actually do it? And in fact, in next week's podcast, I'm going to dive into that a little bit deeper because I think it's such an important part of our own personal and professional development. We, we can't just stop with the concepts. You all have probably heard me say, if you've listened to very many episodes, something to the effect of, you know, the realization of something, the awareness of something is only the first step. I mean, it's super important. You have to get there. If you don't have awareness about something, there's no way you're gonna start to change that. But awareness is only the beginning and it's not enough to stop there. And you all, we all know people in our lives who stop there and they're so proud of themselves for being so self-aware. But then it's like, really, they're a victim to that. Yeah, so, you know, I have troubles concentrating, you know, I have ADHD, whatever. So I don't concentrate, you know, I'll probably be late with the stuff I need to hand in. I'll probably forget, have it, whatever. And as if that's okay, I'm just a victim to my lack of concentration. No. So the awareness isn't where the magic is. It starts there, but then we've got to find the tools that help us then compensate for the things that are not serving us. And so that's where, to me, the practicality piece and the inspiration piece come together. So I'm inspired to be more self-aware. I'm inspired to be empathetic. I'm inspired to be part of this environment that allows for healthy conflict. Uh, but I get triggered every time that person says that thing. Okay, so now, what is the tool I use? How do, how do I deal with that so that I can not be triggered so that I can, you know, or be triggered and not react out of it, you know? So there's tools for all of these things. And I won't pretend I have the only tools, but I have a lot of them. And that's what I, part of what I just really love about working with companies, about working with entrepreneurs and their teams with working with people and their individual you know, roles at work and in their families and their lives, because these things come up for us in all of those settings, not just you know, whatever is bothering us at work. There's probably a dynamic very similar that's going on at home. The story may be very different. And so we don't always connect the dots that it's really the same dynamic, but it is. 
So for today, I just want to wrap things up by assuring you that whatever the situation now is in your team, in the office or workplace or in your business or the team in your family, it is possible to, to cultivate these qualities that will allow for healthy conflict to help people really raise their emotional intelligence as you are raising yours in order to be able to implement those tools and implement those things. So one of the things I'll give you real quick that really helps with being able to have healthy conflict, it's kind of part of a foundation of trust, is that people know each other, that people have an emotional connection with each other. Now in the workplace, that may seem like, oh, no, 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 you know, we don't want to get involved in each other's private lives and whatever. It doesn't have to be that deep. It can be things like knowing something about a person's background, something that could be, you know, it could be where they're from, things they like to do, whatever, so that we can make a connection with them. I had somebody in a workplace setting that honest, she pushed my buttons so much. And I wasn't, we weren't on the same team. So we didn't often have to work together. And I was always very grateful for that. But the occasionally our, our two departments would, you know, cross over and we would need to do something. And she was so triggering to me and I'm not super reactive. So it's not like I usually, you know, lost my shit or, you know, yelled at her or whatever, but I never liked working with her in a project. And so obviously that affects the way I show up. Right. And I wasn't very good at standing up to her because she pushed my buttons so much. I, it, 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 I, like I couldn't find my words, you know, and I would tend to shut down and go along. And then there was this one day in a meeting she shared a story about her childhood. And honestly, I don't even remember what it was. And, you know, it wasn't all that intimate or deep because that's not the kind of person she was and it was the workplace. So it was whatever. I went fishing with my grandfather, you know, when I was seven or, you know, just that kind of a story. And it humanized her so much for me for the first time. I was like, oh, like just, you know, a little window into who she was as a person that allowed me to see her just a little bit differently, which allowed me to open up to that place inside of me where I could be more accepting of her where she was, you know, how she is. And so I wasn't as triggered the next time, you know, she said or did something that would typically trigger me because now she's just a little more human, a little more of a whole person where especially at work, we tend to just see people in the role that they are, you know, and not so much as a whole human being. But the same can happen in families where people kind of get roles or they get labeled in a family in a certain way, you know, oh, well, that's the troublemaker. And so, of course, they don't want to go to Disneyland, you know, because they're the trouble. And, and so we will shut down from even listening to why it was they really wanted to go to Cabo this year instead of Disneyland, because we're dismissing it like, oh, well, you know, sure, of course, they're against it, you know, always are always will be, you know, so it's getting past 
these preconceived ideas of people and being able to see people in a, in a more well-rounded light really for who they are as a whole is one of the first really big steps to both building trust and then being able to foster that environment that allows us to engage or participate in some sort of healthy conflict. So I hope that tip was helpful. I'd love to hear about this in the comments because again, in work and at home, these kinds of things come up all the time and healthy conflict is so beneficial. It helps us see things we couldn't have seen, find solutions we would have never thought of, have a new idea we would have never thought of. If everybody's just going along, we miss out on so much. It may seem very harmonious and peaceful, but we will miss out on so much if we can't create that environment that allows everybody to feel like they can share their different perspectives and ideas. So I'd love to hear in the comments, you know, how this has impacted you, what it's made you think of, what types of either work or home environments, you know, those situations that are the most difficult to have healthy conflict in. And maybe we'll do, you know, based on your comments, it will easily uh, give me an idea for another episode on this topic. Because as always, I want to be aspirational, inspirational with these concepts and ideas, but then also give you the tools you need so you can actually work towards them. So thank you for joining me for this episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser and check out next week's episode when I talk a little bit more about tools and how that combines with these concepts and ideas. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser. Check out today's show notes to get any specific links for today and also to get links for your free resources, a link to find out more about my self-coaching framework, the Solve It Method, and a questionnaire for those of you thinking about working with me one-on-one called Curious About Coaching. So thank you so much for being with me in this episode. As always, it means the world to me when you put a five-star review on whichever outlet you're listening to this podcast on. And I will see you in the next episode of Liberate Your People Pleaser.